Um, God, thank you that uh, each of us have our own story. And the story begins with issues like our family and our grade schools and our teachers. And, and then somehow the story begins to get more complicated and sometimes more painful and sometimes more confusing. And, uh, and here we are now. And our stories have been going on for quite a while. And we're still trying to make sense of them, and we're trying to understand uh, your perspective on our stories. We're trying, to understand, we're trying to understand how you want to not just observe our stories, you want to be a welcome, invited participant in our stories, to bring healing and hope and goodness and strength and power into our stories. Um, because you, more than anyone else, want our stories to end really well. And you want our stories to be uh, energizing and full of joy. So we ask that you would be, uh, your Holy Spirit would teach us and remind us and tell us whatever he needs to tell us, and that we would have ears to hear. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the three words God told me coming out of someone's mouth usually leads us, in my experience at least, to have one of probably three different interpretations of that person. First of all, uh, the person saying that is some kind of a money-grabbing TV preacher, you know, God told me this, so therefore you need to send your money to the address on the screen, you know. Um, so God told me, hearing that from people, sometimes you have the image of a, what I'll just call a money-grabbing preacher. Second possible response is God told me could be said from someone that we just labeled a mystic. These are the kind of people that are just really spiritual, they live in caves, they fast all day or whatever, and it, so we almost write them off as weird, but they're not quite weird, all right? Um, and then there's a third category of just the nuts. You know, a nut who says, God told me this, God told me this, and, you know, who proclaim things on the street. For most of us, having those three words come out of our mouths in a normal, ordinary conversation feels awkward. Because it feels presumptuous to say, hey, I think God's telling me something, or God told me this. Because we don't want to be labeled as a money grabber, a mystic, or a nut. All right, the weird meter we've talked about before. The weird meter starts going up when somebody says, "Well, God told me." Your internal weird meter starts going high, and if you have to say, "God told me," you're not have to. If you feel like you want to sell somebody, I think God told me something, then your own weird meter starts jumping around because you're like, "This is kind of strange. I don't want to be labeled weird." All right, um, go to the next slide here. One of the things uh, we're going to talk about today, and we're going to actually hear some stories of people who would say, God has told us something, and they're not mystics, they're not weird people, and, I mean, they're not money grabbers, and they're not nuts, at least not in the normal sense of the word, all right? But Jesus, in John chapter 10, um, talked about the fact that it's normal, ordinary people who were his followers would actually hear him talk to them. It wasn't just the mystical in the weird sense kind of thing. And this is what Jesus says. This is in John chapter 10. He's talking to people in this particular scenario who are questioning him. Jesus, who are you? Are you really a Messiah? You know, in kind of in a defensive way. It's kind of an argument a little bit. And uh, he's responding to their challenge as to who he is. What are you all about, Jesus? And this is what he uh, says in response. And this is, the, this is not in the middle of a soft music kind of moment with all kinds of friendly listeners around. This is, in the, this is in the middle of a lot of skeptics, a lot of people who aren't sure, a lot of people who are cynical, and some people who are really wanting to hear. All right? Not unlike probably even our crowd here this morning. 
And all of us have some of those little, we have little skepticism inside of our own hearts and things like that. So this is what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. He was using this kind of imagery of the shepherd because they all understood that it was a very farming kind of society. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, for the shepherd, and the sheep, sheep do what? That recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of him, and they follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. So highlighting those phrases, recognize his voice. He calls us by name. Jesus knows us by name. And so if I want to talk to um, you know, Doug Parker, I'll say Doug because I know his name, and that gets his attention. Jesus knows our name. He wants to have our attention. Um, know his voice, know his voice, recognize his voice, all right? Later on in the passage, John 10, Jesus keeps, because they're getting a little more upset with him, and they're kind of challenging him because they're trying to figure out, well, who is this guy? And he says, well, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep, all right? That's, you know, that's not, not the way to win friends and influence people, all right? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me, all right? Read at 27 with me out loud again, just what I just read. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. He's talking about us. We can listen to his voice. He knows us, and we follow him. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. And this always blows me away. And I looked at this passage months ago, but I wanted to reiterate this. (laughs) The people picked up stones to kill him. I mean, what he's saying here is radical. So radical, they wanted to kill him because it was so offensive to them that not only he was claiming to be God, but he was talking about people could hear him, he could give direction, things like that. The main thing to uh, go to the next slide there. Um, Here's the point for today, and then I'm going to interview some people. You can recognize the voice of Jesus. Anybody can. Anybody who wants to hear from Jesus can hear his voice. It's not for mystics, it's not for nuts, it's not for money-grabbing people. All right. One of the things I've talked about before is the whole idea of, and this is, this is the paradigm from which I, for me, it's been very helpful in understanding how do you hear from God. And then we're going to talk to people who have kind of wrestled with what that looks like. Voice print identification is a tactic that the FBI, CIA, you know, Jack Bauer, those kind of people use this. And what it is is they can get a tape recording or a video recording or whatever of uh, what purports to be Osama bin Laden. And they can figure out if it's really him. So what they do is they have what's called as uh, the known reference utterance. So they know it's his voice. They have an actual recording. They know it's him. And they can take that recording and they can digitalize all kinds of issues, breathing patterns, accents, word choices, how fast he speaks, how slow he speaks, all those categories, all kinds of different factors involved. And they can somehow put it in some kind of digital kind of graph kind of format. And they know that's him. Then they get a tape recording or they get a, you know, some kind of recording off of uh, Al Jazeera or whatever that, that says it's him. They can do the same thing with that recording, break it down digitally, all those different issues, breathing patterns, dialect, choice of words, etc. And they can compare those two, the known reference utterance to the test utterance, and within a nine, over a 99% accuracy rate, they can say, yes, we know that's him. All right? Here's the, here's the analogy here. 
the Bible is our known reference utterance. We know this is how God speaks. And what I'm saying is, when you think of the stories, whether it's Gideon, Moses, the Virgin Mary, ways in which God speaks to people. You know, God's, you know, he often speaks in tones of risk. He speaks in tones of comfort. He's, you know, we don't know God's accent. My guess is probably Southern Indiana Hick is how he really would talk. But we, uh, or if you're from Chicago, it's that tone. But we, we do have a sense of how God speaks to people. The Bible is full of how God spoke to ordinary, stories of how God spoke to ordinary people. So we know that. And so if you sense God telling you something, the more you understand God revealed himself, how God revealed himself in the Bible, the more you're going to increase in your a- accuracy of knowing, I think this is God. Because I often tell people, if what you're hearing from God is challenges your comfort, challenges your convenience, or is somehow risky, among other things, it's a good chance that it's God, because that's the God right here. Or if he's asking you to do something that's going to be for the well-being of someone else, or he's asking you to do something to bring peace where there's conflict. Well, that's, that's, how, that's how God is. So that's why we study the Bible, not because we want to win Jeopardy category of Bible. We study the Bible because we want to know how God speaks. All right? So what we're going to do today, uh, go to the next. Uh, Brian and Kristen Arnold going to come first. So these people know I'm asking. I'm not, this wasn't a random thing. So they're not like, oh my goodness, we're coming up here. But Brian and Kristen, we're going to sit up here just so you can see them. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, these weird mystical people who actually believe that God has talked to them. Um, but they're also wrestling with that. So... Uh, why don't you want to just tell us what brought you to Bloomington? How long have you been in Bloomington? Just to that first. Well, we've been in Bloomington for six years now. This time, this is our third trip for visit to <laughs> Bloomington. Uh, this time it was to come back for work. Cook. And what do you do? I work for Cook, Cook okay. Pharma Canal. And you are a? Brand marketing manager. Are you a global brand marketing manager? You don't have the word global in front of me. Uh, I love that word, global. Yes, I was. Okay. Now you're like intergalactic? <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, let's, uh, Brian and, uh, Kristen are involved in the middle of an adoption process. It's been a long process. One of you start, do you, did you think God told you to start this process and how did you think that happened? I'm not sure. I just, for the longest time, I just had this recurring thought associated with adoption and we would talk about it for a time and then it would sort of die down and. Then it would come back. I mean, it's sort of like you, know, you talk about the etch sketch. Yeah. Where you shake it and it, it won't leave. So you had a thought you couldn't quite shake, and you wondered maybe that was God. Yeah. And she's going to add something. Yeah, she just reached. <laughs> he had the thought. He had the conversations, and I was like this. Because. Um, it made me uncomfortable. There were things that I wasn't sure about. There's all kinds of stuff you don't know, and it's long, and it's complicated, and it's expensive, and life is hard enough. Thank you. Okay. That's, that's where I was coming from. But you couldn't shake the idea or the thought. You know, you, and did, did you wrestle like, God, is this you, or did you wonder if it was just coming from some other yeah, kind of... I wrestled, and, and I, I really wanted a burning bush-like moment. You know, I wanted did God give clear. it to you? No. Okay. And yet, and yet, <laughs> and yet the, thought, the thought was still there. So no, no kind of like Gideon wet fleece, dry fleece kind of moment, nothing like yeah, that. I remember, I remember one weekend um, we were debating the opportunity once again, and and I, I, I went back to James one twenty seven. You know, we're talking. This is my paraphrase: pure and lasting religion in the eyes of God is taking after widows and orphans in their distress. And I just finally decided I didn't need a burning bush moment. You know, it was huh. clear in that instance, and from that point on, I think we just started to move. Okay, let me just, 
it's what you're saying, and this is, this is true of, of, of how I think ordinary people like us hear God, reoccurring thoughts that you can't shake and scripture passages that seem to be highlighted in yellow. Yeah. Like they kind of jump out at you and the font grows from 12 to 18 point font. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? Yeah. That's, those are often, and so, so uh, when did the Etch-A-Sketch come on? Your, when, when did you kind of feel like, I think this is God? Or you, you know, did, was there a moment? Was there a burning bush for you? Um, well, I, I would hope that I'm not the only wife who sometimes struggles to get on the same page as her husband. <laughs> I mean, don't you, I mean, I'm sure you, if you've ever studied the Bible, don't you wonder if Mrs. Noah got any heads up? <laughs> <laughs> or, Mrs., or, or Sarah, Mrs. Sarah, Abraham. Exactly, or if it's, oh, okay, let's pick up and move, honey. You know, and... and so the one thing that we had in common, I think, is that we wanted to be on the same page, and we were both, you know, um, students of the Bible. And so while he was doing his men's Bible studies and I was doing my ladies' Bible studies, I remember last spring I was studying the book of Esther, and uh, the Bible teacher was talking about when, when she finally goes to approach the king, right after she says, if I perish, I perish, you know, she makes it pretty clear she was probably shaken in her shoes, hmm. but she did it anyway. And so the Bible teacher said, think for a minute, what are you afraid of? And I thought, and honest to goodness, my answer was nothing. I'm afraid of nothing. And, and you think, how can that be? And truthfully, hmm. I was afraid of nothing at that time because I wasn't doing anything that God was asking me to do. I only said yes to those things that I was comfortable with, that I thought was fun, or that I was gifted at. Um, I didn't do anything that I didn't think I could just hit out of the park. And so, so then the next so question, Sometimes that, again, is another... You look at the stories of men and women in the Bible, often what God asked them to do would cause them to be like, oh, I'm afraid I can't do that. Exactly. Or I'm afraid of the, the discomfort or inconvenience that will cause me. Okay, go ahead. Exactly. Well, so then the next question was, you know, what, what if you put on the back burner that God has really, you know, that keeps coming up? And several things came to mind, and not the least of which was adoption. And so here we are. Okay, and then uh, I'll kind of fast forward a little bit. The adoption right now is involving a child from Ethiopia, Ethiopia and you said it was a pretty costly process. Yeah. And a couple months ago, when I were a month or so ago, when I was preaching, talking about Abraham and the sacrifice of giving up Isaac, you were telling me you had this kind of thought, like, okay, God, you're asking us now to start down the process, kind of like Abraham, and then give up the nine thousand. Tell me about that a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you were telling me that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'll begin saying this. We were very naive at the beginning of the process. So, you know, we agreed to proceed. We started to move. We were enthusiastic. And then as we got into the details of the process, we started to realize how complex it was and how, how complicated and expensive. N another principle of hearing from God. If God told you how hard it was going to be, you would never do it. <laughs> so you don't know that. No, seriously, you don't know that going into it, but you just know you're called to get into it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and I, um, you know, there have been moments where uh, we've been really positive and enthusiastic, and there have been other moments where I've had a really bad attitude. Um, you know, I even had an incident with the social worker in the process just because, in, in my mind, I know how much we were paying for the process, and I didn't feel like we were getting a comparable level of, of service for what we were mm. paying. So I started to get frustrated, and I was transparent one night. And she wanted to be done with the process after that. She the social worker or she your wife? No, the oh, social worker. worker. Okay. I think Kristen understood. Um, but I was just open with her about why I was frustrated. And then, you know, her director the next morning called and said that she, she wanted to be done with the process. And, 
So the then, part that we thought we'd be good at. You know, we did, we meet people, we talk to people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want us. So did this, where, where, where was, was there was there frustrating conversation with God through all this? Kind of like, God, what's going on? Did we misread? Did you ever question whether you were misreading God, whether the extra sketch was false? Not then, I don't think. Okay. Um, but there were questions of why is this, why is it so hard? You know, I know he called us to do this, but why, why is it so hard? And he said, count on me. And then uh, last week, two days ago, uh, we, we got another curveball, which is the, the government of Ethiopia has decided to restrict adoptions by 90%. Uh, so to give you a perspective, last year, 2,500 Americans adopted Ethiopian children. And the count is different based on the source, but we've heard anywhere from a million to five million orphans in Ethiopia. And they allowed 2,500 adoptions, and now they're restricting that number by 90%. And we're not even in the queue yet. Uh, we have our home study done, and we have our dossier, which is a submission to the government, nearly complete. And, you know, we're right there on the verge of entering in the queue, and we get this information. And then we also find out that there are a thousand other families ahead of us in the queue. So then it's, you know, and we, we talked about it, and we, we, we hmm. felt called to adoption, not necessarily an Ethiopian adoption. Yeah. And there was a path that led to that. Um, but we're comfortable with shifting. We just don't really know what to do at this point. The whole process has been one of hurrying up and waiting, hurrying up and waiting. We get everything we can get done, and then it's out of our control, and we just have to wait. And yeah. I feel bad because a lot of my friends will ask me for an update, and sometimes three weeks go by from the last update, still and I don't waiting. have still waiting. I don't have anything to, to say. So it, in some respects, it's, it feels like it's way out in the distance. And now with this yeah. news... There's even more uncertainty. So even the still waiting is kind of a principle of men and women throughout the Bible and throughout history have heard from God. The curveball, you know, what I often say is sometimes, like you, let's say if you heard God say, hey, I want you to go to that flag. Well, then halfway there, God says, now turn and go that way. You're like, yeah, but I, I thought you wanted us to go to the flag. Well, I did, but now I want you to turn. And you're like, well, that was the destination. Because like, no, no, obedience was the destination. And you don't know where you're going to end up. You, you think adoption and... You, and Adoption will likely be part of it, but it probably won't turn out like you think. Yeah. And we had uh, the agency we work with works with, uh, they have relationships with 12 different countries, and we had worked through the requirements of all those countries and narrowed down the list to South Korea and Ethiopia. So when this happened, we, you know, we turned to one another and said, well, you know, maybe are we supposed to ship to Ethiopia, or excuse me, from Ethiopia to South Korea? And uh, she sent a note to the agency, and they're like, no, 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 just wait, just wait. And then we're like, well, we just don't know what to do. So that's what we're bringing on now. Okay. Um, Christian, grab the mic. And just, just to end up your interview, would you read the yellow verse again? I mean, just for all of us and for us, they kind of, just the, my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they will follow me. All right. That, that's the promise. And actually, in this passage, Jesus says, and I lead them to eternal life. And he's not just talking about life after we die. It's the kind of eternal kind of life now. So that's where God's leading them. It just never happens like we think it's going to happen. So anyway, thanks, Brian and Kristen. Thank you. And then uh, next up here, I'm going to ask Rod Keel to come up here. Rod's, uh, why don't you tell us what brought you to Bloomington? Uh, work brought me to Bloomington 19 years ago. And you're from where originally? California. Southern California. Yeah. So he chose Bloomington over Southern California. So yeah. we know he's a nut to start with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and what do you do? 
I'm a plumber, pipe fitter. Okay. And your wife, and you introduce your wife and... Uh, Teresa and my daughter, Caitlin, and Chrissy. She's our friend. Okay, okay. Um, and you've been coming to Exodus for like nine months, a year? A year. A year, About a year almost today. Yeah, that's right, that's right. We talked about this. All right, so uh, you were telling me another about six weeks ago, again, as part of the Abraham stuff, you felt like there was something God said to you. God, right in here. Right in here. And right to tell a kind of account what, what was going on. And because none of us, n- nobody else heard that voice. You must yeah. have heard something we didn't hear. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> what happened was, is you were given the sermon on giving something. Up. It was let, uh, yeah, Abraham and go, Isaac let letting go, go, not withholding. Okay. And, uh, I, you know, you, you hear the same story. So I come up and did communion. Come back. Same old, same seat. old. Yeah, come back to the seat, kind of say your few things and all of a sudden the thing that I had to give up was my Sunday fishing and it, it wasn't he, he uh, fishes competitively too it's not yeah, just fishing he's just not he's fishing. competitive yeah, I mean, <laughs> competitive it's, and there's money involved yeah, <laughs> and uh, I sat there and I thought wow you know, now, wh- I didn't, I was it a was it a voice? Was it just a strong feeling? Well, how, how did you what what told you? How did you what? Why did you? Because from what I you told me, this wasn't something that you've talked about with your no, wife. Hadn't, your wife hadn't been nagging you to get. It's up. not like somebody else has been challenging you to give no, up. No, competitive. Not at all. It was just. I don't know. An impression, a strong right, impression. Yeah, it was just. You need to. Be right here. It, it wasn't anything you need to give up fishing immediately. It was you need to be right here. Give up the Sunday fishing. And that would have probably been the last thing I would have ever given up. So, so but you were, were you sure? Like when you felt, heard, whatever, were you sure it was God? I didn't know. So I have a friend at work who, who I fish with who's real strong in his church and everything. and Because uh, that'd be something you might tell your other fishing buddy, and he'd say, wow, Rod, you're kind of going off the deep end. You're, with you're a nut, man. <laughs> yeah, you know? Weird so, meter, wow. Yeah, yeah, weird meter. <laughs> so you're kind of afraid to tell anyone about it. So I went to, I went to work, and I said, uh, hey, Dave, come here for a minute. And I said, you know what happened in church the other day? And I told him the story. And I said, well, man, what do you think of this? You know, because we've been doing it for 18 years. And uh, so he's one of your fishing buddies, too. He's a fishing buddy. He's a, and he's a Christian. My, yeah. Plus my okay. church friend, everything. And uh, he goes, well, I wouldn't ignore this. I, and I you're like, shoot. It, I thought, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, shoot. Exactly. <laughs> but you tell your other fishing friends because next week it starts. Sunday's the big tournament, and, uh, you know, Rod, you ready? And I said, well, I'm not going to fish on Sundays anymore. And they looked at me like I was kind of crazy. Some of them, but then I've gotten positive vibes from a lot of the other ones. Hmm. So, and, and when we talk about this, you're, this, this prompting you're sensing isn't out of some sense of legalism, like I have to be at church Sunday morning. No, it's just no, you no, felt no, like no. I was saying, just let it go for a while. Let it go for a while. Exactly. And... and why is letting it go costly to you? What 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 is it about this? I mean, you you said it's competitive. You can make money. It's fun. And why would God ask you to give those things up? 
Anybody have an answer? Yeah. <laughs> He's waiting for an answer. He's yeah. dying for an answer. Yeah, I'm dying for an answer. But, I mean, we'll see. Yeah. You know, I think he wants me here. It's kind of like what the Arnolds just say. I don't know exactly the why know. yet. I don't know the I why yet. I don't know the why yet. But uh, it's just it was unreal. And the more people I tell about it, I think everyone, all my friends, were pretty okay with it. They, you they know, didn't I, look at I, you like... They get some heck from it, really. Yeah. You know. And then you did say there's one weekend where you're already planning to go with a bunch of guys on a yeah, team. Yeah, I had a commitment to... On a Sunday. With, on a Sunday, you compete against the eight best fishermen in the state. And you bring your best eight, and then you... You get to go to the Bassmaster Classic out of that. If you win that, you know, you get to go. So, And you're still going to do that. I still and, had a commitment with that a year ago. Well, and we talked about that, that love always trumps every other discipline. So if you, tell, if you sense God is saying you to say no to something, but you've already said yes to other people or some kind of, there's mm-hmm. his, his, his love for those people supersedes. I mean, unless it's something, you know, dramatically different. So... You know, God's not legalistic about those things. God wants you to understand the spirit of it. And so, so is this like for a season, do you think? For, God hasn't told you that. Is this, are you going to ever bass fish again on Sundays again? Or you're going to start uh, finding, you can look for a church that has Saturday I'll night services. And, me, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I used to go to Life Church because I felt bad kind of doing it. And Wednesday night they had a, uh, so you could, you could check that off I and feel good about Sundays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, about Sunday, but, you know, no, okay. we'll see. So, so far, so... So, so far, so good. And I haven't had no problem, you know, saying no. Now, would you say, uh, up until that point, that Sunday where we had communion, would you say you were in the habit of hearing regularly from God, or was that kind of a new experience or a new level of hearing from that God? Was a new level of of hearing from God right there. Okay. Yeah. Came, it, came it, out of nowhere. Like it would come right out of nowhere. You hadn't been asking God for some no, word, no, some no. voice. And that would be the thing that I would not give up. Yeah. See? So it wasn't even something your wife was asking. No, it's my passion. <laughs> I mean, I live and breathe it. Okay. Every day, go fishing. And I think from what you told me, you're good. Yeah. You're good at it. Yeah, we, we've won, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's a big competition. Any other, is it bass? Yeah. Any other bass fishermen in here, anybody? You can ask him for advice afterwards about what kind of <laughs> lures yeah. to use. Yeah. And uh, he's also, yeah, he's, also a, he's also a uh, deer hunter, so if you fellow deer people, <laughs> different kind of people I know, you may want to ask yeah. him advice about that too. But you're still doing deer hunting, you're not giving up, and you're still fishing on Saturdays. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, you feel I like got to... nothing out. It was just that tournament, that competition edge. Okay. You know, I don't know if I got too much to be too bad of a competitor or not a good sport. I don't know. But yeah. something happened right here. So another principle here is sometimes God will speak at the most unlikely, unexpected time and say the most unexpected things. So it's not like it's not like uh he was waiting, listening no. for God. I will say this too though, if 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 worship, corporate worship, or even in your own private worship at home, if that's a time where you're open up communication to God by, you know, telling him things, you know, worshiping or whatever, we should expect communication to be open both ways. So I always tell people, impressions you have or promptings you experience 
in a corporate worship setting or in a setting when you're kind of on your own in like your private devotions, pay a little more attention to that because that might be God. Not that it, not that it can't happen if you're out, you know, taking a walk in the woods or whatever, but if we believe that something's going on when we worship, that there's a t- communication happening, I always tell people, any what feels like random thoughts you have during worship or your private worship time, give a little weight to that because it might be God. And in this case, that's what yours was. It's like, whoa, wasn't ex- didn't see that coming. Exactly. So you hadn't been smoking anything that morning? No, or, no, no so. been good. So why don't, you, why don't you read the same verse for us uh, from John chapter 10. My sheep, listen, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they will follow me. They will follow me. Very good. Thanks, Rob. Yep. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, uh, last one is actually uh, kind of an anonymous person. It's somebody sent an email to me this week, and I asked permission to read the email. And so I'm going to read the email, um, and then we'll... I'll uh, be done. But if you were here last Sunday, um, at the end of the service, well, first of all, there's people in the, the prayer kind of team, prayer ministry, and they always pray before the service, for the service, for the Holy Spirit to be welcome. And sometimes, not all the time, sometimes they'll have some kind of impression or something that seems to kind of come on all their etch set screens. They can't seem to shake. And last Sunday, then they come, often they'll come and tell me before the service starts, hey, I, we just had this recurring thought of somebody that might, people that might be here this morning that need prayer for past abuse. And I want to think, where, John, was it past sexual abuse even? Was that even kind of the image? So, you know, and I, you know that, so at the end of the service, I, before we communion, I said, hey, there, there's a sense that maybe there's some here, and I just said who maybe have some wounds or hurts from their past. Because to say, Sexual abuse, sexual abuse might think that everybody goes back there must have been abused and it'd be kind of a weird dynamic. So I just said, just the sense that there's kind of a wound. So there's the sense of these, and these people, people on the prayer team, they're ordinary people. They're not like mystics. They're not like super spiritual people. They just had this sense that, wow, this is kind of a, a weight they were feeling about people that had past experiences of abuse. And then, uh, since I, I, I trust their discernment in that sense, and then this is the email I got this week from somebody. Dear Pastor Matt, I'm a new member of the congregation at Exodus. I've only met you once briefly. In fact, I'm a new member of the congregation of, of the Church of Jesus Christ. The reason for my finding Jesus or, or his finding me, though he was there all along, of course, I should say his revelation to me in my life was that I realized in conjunction with the physical injury that I was a survivor of childhood abuse. This has all taken place in the last two years, in other words, her memories of this. And while that may seem like a long time in comparison with how long I was fighting God and repressing these memories, and this person is now in their 30s. The first time I visited Exodus with a dear friend of mine was in June. I then left overseas for six months, and upon return spent my first and every subsequent Sunday back at Exodus. I began seeking prayer from the gifted and compassionate people in the healing room for my back. So she'd been here before and had prayer and other illnesses that I suffered as a a result of my time overseas. But this week, talking about last Sunday, I had even questioned attending, honestly, because of the church and money discussion that I was unsure if I was uncomfortable with. Talked about money the last few weeks. But I went with the sole purpose of finally asking for healing for what I believed to be the root of my physical and emotional suffering, the abuse that I endured as a child. When you spoke at the end of the sermon and said there was a person or perhaps person who the praying team knew were among us, and invited us to seek prayer for this specific reason, I was floored, practically and literally. 
I ran up, took communion, and then almost fell into the arms of the praying team, weeping with joy and relief. I am so new and naive, and I feel as though I should not be shocked that mere men and women can hear the voice of God. All right? I feel as though I should not be shocked that mere men and women can hear the voice of God and then speak it so clearly since God can do anything. But even if this concept is something that comes naturally to others, I still feel compelled to share my story with you to show my gratitude for you and the praying team acting on God's behalf and making me feel at home. I no longer feel ashamed of my secret as I have before. I've also wanted to make sure uh, you knew that your efforts at Exodus are not in vain. I'm still grappling with the effects of this. Um, And praise Jesus and blessings to you. And then she said her name. But uh, again, there wasn't, there's not like any special aura in that room when they pray before the service. They sense God saying something to them. They recognize the voice of God or recognize something. Communicated to me, I communicated it to people and, and this person. And so, and so why does God speak? He speaks for our healing and wholeness. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Rod's decision not to bass fish on Sunday, but somewhere God's doing that for some kind of a greater good in his life or lives of others. Brian and Kristen, same thing. So when God speaks, he's always speaking because he's wanting to bring uh, wholeness, healing, goodness, strength, joy to our lives. We don't always know how it happens. And in this case, this email, which is another example of that. So um, God does speak to ordinary people. This room is full of ordinary people. So if you do the logical change over there, then God speaks to people like us, and he wants to. And um, so that's what I, my last slide is just simply... uh, you know, put your own name there, that you can recognize the voice of God. And because uh, it seemed like Jesus just expected that was going to be normal in our relationships. So if we could close by reading together the John 10 passage, read out loud with me. Uh, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they will follow me. All right, we're going to, uh, we close every Sunday at Exodus with communion. And uh, communion was something that, from the last supper of Jesus with the disciples and he talked about what he was about to do with his death and his resurrection and, and that it was going to be opening up something, some new reality and from reading other scripture, part of the new reality was he's opening up direct communication between God and ordinary people right, he breaks the, the stronghold of sin and death and, and opens up a whole new way for us to understand life alright, um and this is just the passage from uh, one of the letters in the New Testament um, where Jesus says, uh, says in the night when he was betrayed, the Lord, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to it, and he broke it in pieces. And this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. All right, remember that phrase, to remember me. And then goes on. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Right, the new covenant, as you know, the Old Testament talked about this new covenant where um, basically God would give us new hearts and he would kind of have conversational friendship with us all right, as a result of Jesus' work. An agreement confirmed with my blood, do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So when we do this every Sunday in Exodus, it, 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 it does and it can feel like a ritual, but not all rituals are bad. They're only bad if they lose meaning. Um, but the ritual we go through every week is because we're remembering that when Jesus gave his body, gave his blood, 
He broke the hold of death, and he opened up a whole new way for us to understand what life with God was like. Um, Jesus' whole ministry was proclaiming to us that we can have life with God that we've never imagined we could have, conversational friendship available through Jesus. So when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, and in Exodus, we'll actually, you'll tear off a piece of bread and you just dip it in the cup. Um, what you're doing is acknowledging and remembering the promise Jesus had. And one of the promises we talked about today is that you're going to know his voice. And you're going to follow his voice, and he will lead you to an eternal kind of now life, as well as a life with him after this life ends. So that's what we're doing. Uh, that's why we do it. And so we're doing it affirming that Jesus is the one who's opened that door for us to have these kind of relationships and conversations and friendship with God. Let me pray, and the band will come up. Uh, Andy and Matt will come up and lead us in a few more songs. Jesus, thank you that you, um, thank that you speak to us and that we can hear you. We can recognize your voice. You don't speak in inaudible tones or you don't speak in confusing languages to us, but you want to have a, a living relationship with us, and we're grateful for that. And thank you, Jesus, that we can have that kind of friendship with God because of what you have done and only through what you have done. And so we're grateful for your death and your resurrection and your willingness uh, to suffer on our behalf so we can be alive again in our friendship with God. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're new as the band plays, we just, people just come on up for communion. We don't dismiss by rows, and you're just welcome to come up to any of the servers.